It's episode 67 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today are J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. Uh, how you guys doing? I don't really have a lot of news today to talk about. You? No. No? J.P., no. what's going on? I don't know. We've been getting a little bit of snow. That's mainly the big uh, <laughs> the big news around here. Yeah. That's, uh, we're, it's that time of year. Plus, we're going into the holidays, so let's be honest. We're all just kind of mailing it in at this point, right? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for that, for that five-day weekend. We're ready to eat some turkey and just uh, go into a food coma? Yes. Yeah. So any big plans, JP, for you? Uh, t- well, no, going home to see my folks, but uh, I've, I've got a lot of grading to do between now and Thursday, so I don't have much of a break. Oh, well, that stinks. Whatever. Once you get to Thursday, I guess you can you can take a, a couple hours off and, and just stuff your face, right? I do that most Thursdays. There you go. (laughs) Okay. Hey, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKETailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKETailgate. Our ball and glove patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, which should be coming out soon, and you finally have something to talk about. We got lots to talk about now because there is a bit of a, a lull there as far as like, I mean, it's seasonal. News. It's the way it goes. So you have stuff to talk about immediately. And then after that, we'll probably have top 10 lists coming out. Yeah. Top 10 list. I think uh, as far as the Brewers go on that, I know Baseball America is doing the American League first this year. So the National League comes second. So that won't be until like well into December. Yeah. So you guys will probably out. do your own before. We'll have our own out before that yeah. comes out, at least. Who knows when the other big lists come out? They're just more random. But Baseball yeah. America does theirs in a very regimented sort of way. Yeah. Uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Uh, what do we have? Oh, the Pilot Beer. That already came out. I should have adjusted that. But on November 21st, they're re-releasing uh, Raspberry Fantasy Factory IPA, and that's just in time for Thanksgiving. Yes, it is. Are you going to go pick some up? I will not be in Madison this year, so I'm going no, to no, lacrosse. No, it's, it's in bottles. Oh, sure. So yeah. Oh, so that'll be out and around? Yeah, sure. that's that out, seems like a thing. Out and around, you can go pick that one up, put it on your uh, Thanksgiving menu. Um, and then also on Black Friday, Carbon 4 is coming out with the Zero IBU Fantasy Factory, which, again, is a big... The hell is that? That I, I'm really intrigued to try it because I want to know what that is. They're basically like, saying, hey, it's a big secret, or you'll find out that day. There's no details on it. Yeah, like I... Just I, I don't understand how an IPA could be zero IBUs, but so now that all the the breweries do their Black Friday releases, that's uh, one to check out if you have a, ch- a chance to go do that. So I don't know, have you done a Black Friday brewery thing? Um, I have not. No, we've generally been around here. If we were in town this year, I would go to some of the the local ones, or if I was in Madison, I'd you know go over to Carbon Four and do theirs. But like, it just sort of depends on where I'm at, and maybe I'll go do one in Lacrosse. I was gonna say, there's beer in Lacrosse too. They they do have beer in Lacrosse, and I maybe I'll go down to uh to the uh. Well, I'm not gonna mention another brewery while we're talking about our sponsor whatever ones are there so anyways check that out and then also remember to use our promo code mke tailgate in the carbon four web store and you'll receive 20 percent off your order the brewery is on kinsman boulevard in madison or you can find their beer at your local retailer as always check out carbon4.com for more information carbon four beer brilliance milwaukee's tailgate is also sponsored in part by sound devices a premier manufacturer of audio product production gear audio production gear yes and they're located right here in wisconsin sound devices gear is used worldwide and it's found on the set of oscar-winning films and popular tv shows like game of thrones which is actually going to come back next spring do we have a date yet april oh okay I can, which, do, I can do April, which is more than we had for a while. So, hey, let's just take it. So uh, anyways, if you're looking to create a professional sounding podcast, check out the Mix Pre 3 and Mix Pre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. OK, so we had awards week this past week and it, it kind of went how we expected. No, it didn't. Boo. I said how we expected, not how we wanted. No, I thought Council was going to win and I thought he should have won. And I thought that was bull. Oh, you did? Okay, because I, I thought we were kind of like, uh, Snitker had the that narrative of a young team that overachieved. Yeah, but I thought I thought Council had. Maybe it was because 
his profile raised in the postseason, so maybe that was clouding my judgment on the issue. But I, I didn't see any argument other than just, oh, the Braves weren't expected to be as good, and they were. For, but that's how that works. That is how that works, and that is why the award is given out. I saw a little video clip of Jim Bowden like ranting and raving about that, which was funny because I'm like, well, Jim Bowden shouldn't be ranting and raving about anything, but. I mean, JP, do you think there was a legit argument for Snitker over Council, or is it just one of those things where you're like, yeah, whatever, that's how they just give it out? Yeah, it's kind of whatever. I mean, if there were an actual, like if there were actual merit to it, I think there'd have to be some kind of standard in terms of what we actually measure a, a quality manager, but there is so much of being a manager that we can't see there and ultimately what everybody is going to do is just kind of go down to whether or not you were successful. Um, because I think in a lot of ways, anything else, we're just kind of guessing. I, we're so close to it in Milwaukee in terms of council that I think obviously we're going to be able to see a lot of things there. I would imagine if we talked to a Braves fan, they would probably give us a list of reasons why Snicker did so many things and why they were more successful than we thought. And I don't care enough to actually go and try to read those articles, but I would imagine that they exist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a big deal. You know, I think everybody, okay, where people would have been pissed is if Yelich wouldn't have won MVP and he was an almost unanimous pick. I mean, especially once, when we talked about this last week, once that list came out of who the three finalists were and DeGrom wasn't on it, if DeGrom had beaten out Yelich and people had just decided that, you know, they were going to be okay with a pitcher winning it, I would have had no argument. I'd be like, okay, fine. But once you saw who the three other or the two other finalists were, there was no argument for either of those two over Yelich. Yeah. Yelich was clearly the best position player hitter in the National League this year. So Yeah, and Yelich got 29 of 30 first-place votes. DeGrom got the only other first-place vote. Right, which made perfect sense to me. Like, that's... If if you're going to give it to somebody who isn't Yelich, then it's DeGrom. Like, I, I, I mean, I guess you could even say Scherzer, but, like, DeGrom was better than Scherzer, so... Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was good to see it uh, kind of shake out that way, JP. Um, I mean, did you see any argument for anyone else? I, DeGrom seemed to be the only other guy, and clearly, you know, that wasn't even a consideration for most writers. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, I think that we've talked about that a lot on the podcast. I don't see an argument for anybody other than Yelich. I think if, again... And I know that I've said this before, if you're going to bring defense into the into the conversation so much that you're going to make an argument for Baez, then Lorenzo Cain is actually probably a better candidate than than Baez is just because of the the defensive factor. Um, so now I think Yelich rightly won. I don't see any kind of comparison between uh, pitchers and hitters. I think that everybody is using war uh, is using wins above replacement just because uh, their numbers look the same. But. I've yet to see an argument as far as why we should be able to compare those um, because it's always been wins above replacement is geared towards what a replacement pitcher is, not a replacement player and a replacement hitter, obviously wins above replacement for a position player is going to be geared towards a position player. So it doesn't seem to me that there's actually any comparison between those numbers going together. Uh, people like Keith law and whatnot that have been really kind of going for DeGrom really heavily uh, seem to avoid that conversation rather regularly so in my opinion that's why we have a, a Cy Young award and that's why we have a MVP award that should go to the position players if somebody wants to figure out a way to explain how we can compare pitchers and hitters I'm much more willing to give uh, pitchers a nod for that it is funny how we tend to all, all of a sudden get a bunch of I don't know constitutionalists when you talk about MVP and they're like it's most valuable player. Therefore, I have to judge everybody on an equal merit, even though we don't well, have a great way to and, do that. And the whole I'm value saying, discussion and everything. Be, everybody's like, it is. It is very like we're trying to divine the intent of the uh, of like the the, the founding fathers yeah, of the like, Baseball Writers Association of America. Yeah. When really it was just a bunch of you know drunk dudes in a bar in like November trying to figure out some way to like come up with their next column because baseball season was over. Well, and let's be honest, weren't they all like hanging in the bar, hanging around in the bars after the games with all the players, anyways? Yes, and watching Babe Ruth run naked through their poker games and whatnot. Yes, but those are the people we're supposed to emulate from this point forward as the the sages that brought us this this prestigious award. So, 
Um, yeah, no, it was good to see uh, Yelich get that. And I don't know, how does that set expectations for next season? I mean, it's hard when you acquire a guy in the offseason, you have high expectations. He goes out and wins the MVP, and they're a game away from the, the World Series. You know, wh- what do you think that does for the expectations in 2019? And is there any way to basically meet those expectations? I think it probably sets them far too high because if we've seen anything, not only is not only are the expectations for Yelich going to be extremely high because he won the MVP, the actual expectations for Yelich are going to be what he did in the second half because that's the last thing that people saw. Yeah, and that's just not realistic and that's not a fair standard to really hold anybody to because let's face it, we haven't really seen a hitter over the course of like a half a season hit as well as he has since like Barry Bonds. Like it, he put up such insane numbers in the second half that that's just not likely to continue. I mean, maybe who knows? Maybe it does. Maybe the Brewers got themselves one of the greatest all times fle- all time fleecings of a trade ever. But I wouldn't bet on it. Well, I my, saw- my, my favorite part. My favorite part of that is not you saying that somehow the Brewers got one of the all time greatest players. It's that they got somehow one of the greatest trades that has ever happened and that they absolutely fleece the Marlins, which is like. It's very on brand for me, Brian. Well, yeah. Ryan's goal is to never have buyer's remorse. Yeah. I want him to like needle point it on a pillow and send it. So, well, okay. JP, how much of the second half was a lot of it was driven by a power surge that we weren't expecting to see from Yelich. But as far as a hitter, like him hitting you know, mid 300s with an over 400 on base. That's that's not like crazy, you know, above expectations for what we, you know, could see Yelich doing. Do you think the power is something that can carry over next year? Because I think that that's probably the biggest question. Yeah, and I don't have a great sense of that just because I wasn't expecting the power binge before the year. So it's hard for me to be able to to kind of make an assumption based on whether or not that's real over, you know, the course of what, three months or so. So I, my gut says there's something there. Um, and maybe it's just because I want it to be there. But it doesn't seem like he actually changed his approach all that much, which is uh, simultaneously like the reason why we shouldn't believe the the power surge, because uh, he didn't really make any changes in terms of his batting, his batted ball profile or anything like that. But at the same time, like he was able to actually access that power without selling out, which is, again, one of the things that you would like to be able to see. So I don't necessarily know which of those narratives is the case. I think we'll probably wait until about the All-Star break and then we can kind of like decide which of those is the one that we want to go with. Um, But I I'm not 100 percent sure that I would expect him to hit in the mid 300s. I, I mean, but I do think that his overall approach is one of the reasons why he's one of the best hitters if not the best hitter in in the national league so i think as long as he is continuously surrounded by quality hitters that they cannot treat him like they did in the last two weeks of the year in which they basically said we will not pitch to you and if the brewers can somehow surround him in the lineup in which that's not really an option then he has a chance to replicate those numbers. If if they're going to pitch around him to the point in which he wasn't really able to do anything other than take walks late in the season, that's going to be a little bit of a problem in terms of his overall numbers. He did say something, and I can't remember exactly where this was now. He did talk about having made a little bit of a swing change where he was getting a little more uppercutty. So you wonder if that was part of that he made that change coming into the season and that the first half was a little bit slower than what he wanted because of that. Like, he was still a good hitter in the first half, but it wasn't what he was expecting, and then it clicked in the second half. He got used to it. Now, the swing change stuff is always hard to to know the veracity of because everybody's making them, and everybody's everybody's always making them and have been. But now there's this specific thing where everybody's getting a little bit more uppercutty, you know, the swing change revolution and whatnot. So the question for that would be, if that's the case, do pitchers start figuring out a different plan of attack on him? Or can he continue to keep adjusting and stay ahead of what pitchers are adjusting to him? And like JP said, we're talking about, you know, an approach adjustment too, because if guys aren't going to throw him strikes, then he's going to have to figure out how to to deal with that too. Because 
I know Bryce Harper went through that after that monster season. He had his MVP year where teams just really stopped throwing him strikes and he was still trying to be productive and still, you know, hit the ball for power, but it was hard when he just wasn't seeing the number of strikes he did before. Yeah, I mean, Yelich, well, I think, showed in the offseason, or not offseason, the postseason, he had the ability to just take walks, even though, like, the batting average was low. Like, the guy was getting on base and scoring a lot of runs. So, I mean, you do have a guy with an approach that I think can make the adjustment. And also, in regards to the power, he's, you know, age 26 season. He's a 6'4", you know, corner outfielder. I mean, the idea that the power kind of blossoms isn't, a crazy idea at that point no yeah but i i think the biggest concern for me i i haven't actually seen anything in terms of him talking about kind of changing a swing plane or anything of that of that sort so i'd be interested to see that but in terms of the numbers there's no change i mean he had a 25 percent fly ball rate in 2017 he had a 23.5 percent fly ball rate this year so if he's making changes to a swing plane it's certainly not showing up in the number of fly balls he's hitting what changed is the fact that last year his home runs per fly ball was 15 percent, and this year it was 35 percent, which could mean that he's making more consistent contact i don't you know i don't know there are other things than you know just calling something a fluke but it's the highest he's had by double digit percentages throughout his entire career which makes me skeptical to be able to look in, into those things um his his ground ball rate is still above 50 percent and the last time that we had this conversation, I think, is a kind of a nas- national baseball community, is whether or not the power binge from Eric Hosmer was real. And that Eric Hosmer conversation was kind of driven towards whether or not he was going to be able to uh, go into, what was it, San Diego? Is that yes. where everybody <laughs> got all mad about the fact that he signed for San Diego, even though San Diego doesn't expect to be good for a couple of years? But he finally hit 25 homers for a couple of years in a row. And everybody was saying, well, is this finally, you know, the time in which he was actually making huge changes to his swing? But when it came down to it, his ground ball rate was still over 50% and his fly ball rate wasn't that great. And this past year, his home run per fly ball went down a little bit, which isn't surprising in in San Diego. And he didn't even hit 20 home runs. Um, I don't think he was any. People want to make fun of him for being, you know, a worse hitter. I think there's a lot of problematic stuff that kind of comes into that because he really only had one really excellent year maybe two if you want to count 2015 but i'm i'm skeptical that that yelich can really tap into that i mean he'd have to be somebody that when he hits fly balls he flushes it almost every time in order to consistently hit for that kind of power output if he's not going to be able to put the ball in the air as you know any more often than he did this year hosmer is an interesting one because i think he Hosmer and Yelich have similar swings. Like, I think if you really look at them, am, am I wrong on this, JP, or have you not thought about it much? But I, I think they're they're kind of similar build, similar swing guys. I I have no idea. Oh, I would have to look I, at it. It didn't. I was going to say, I think if you went and compared the two of them, I, I think they're somewhat similar in that. I, I, think, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, projecting that. But Well, I was going to say, I think part of it might just be the fact that I just think about this in terms of like when I used to, when I was like thinking about um, teaching golf and like being able to to analyze golf swings and be able to help people with that. Uh, to me, like lefties always looked the same because it was just it was something I wasn't used to seeing. And I do wonder if it's just like two lefties. Well, but they also they don't have the big uppercut swings. I think they have relatively low finishes to their swings compared to a lot of other players who you know tend to finish higher. Um, so it, it'd be interesting. Um, but again, I was gonna say Yelich's swing reminds me of Ted Williams, which is, you know, okay. that's mostly probably body type because you've got tall, skinny dude with a relatively kind of loose swing. Like he's just, they both kind of have that looseness to it Mm -hmm. that, but that's what I think of when I think of Yelich's swing. I think they also, also they kind of flatten out and sit in the zone for a while. They have a, a little bit of a bigger hitting zone, I think, as far as the way their bat travels through there. So. Well, again, it'll be interesting to watch um, going forward. And I mean, the thing about Hosmer is he went from a, a big park to a big park where Yelich, I don't think he, he didn't hit a lot of cheapies in Miller Park. Like the guy was, when he was locked in, I mean, he had, like he, he was hit really a share of wall scrapers, but that's normal. But he was also really driving the ball to, you know, the opposite field and stuff like that. He'd hit it into the bullpen and stuff like that where you go the Brewers oh, bullpen. Yeah. yeah. Where you'd go. Oh, yeah, that was definitely out. That wasn't just like the guys just kind of on a, a good run. Um, 
and just kind of getting it over the wall. Like he was really driving it with power. So it'll be fun to watch next year. I think uh, regardless of what he does, you know, clearly they have a really good player for the next four seasons. So um, it was fun to see. Uh, let's see. Anyways, in news, what do you want to go to next? Did you want to talk about Keston? That's why I put bit? it there. Okay. Uh, Keston Hira uh, wins the AFL MVP. So when we're looking forward to uh, what are the Brewers going to do in the offseason, how much uh, is this going to affect um, their thought process going into 2019? Because it looks like they have a guy who's he's he's really getting close to the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, and I think we kind of knew that before. He really opened a lot of eyes in Arizona. Um, all the all the talk I've heard of you know scouts that were down there or whatever really liked it. He, Keith Law was talking about it in his chat this last week and said, "Yeah, I saw him and he didn't impress me when I saw him when I was he saw him for a game or two or whatever. Like it didn't stand out." But he said every scout that I have talked to has come away really impressed and he is going to hit really really well. So I think that uh, what stood out. Can't remember who was talking about it, but they said what really stood out to them was they knew he was going to hit that he was he had the ability to put bat to ball and make solid contact around the field. That wasn't a question, but they were seeing more power out of him that he was going to potentially be like a 20 home run and just a ton of doubles sort of guy. And if you do that and you're at second base, you're and and the other stuff is there, too. Like, you know, we know he's going to take his walks and he's going to hit for a reasonably high average. That's a really, really valuable player. That's a, you know, in in the best years, that's, you know, a potentially a borderline MVP type candidate. If he has, you know, if he's a 20-ish home run uh, a year hitter and he has that year where he spikes up to 30, you do that with all the other stuff around it and you're playing second base, you know, you can be one of the more valuable players in your league that year. So JP is... I think everybody's pretty confident in the bat at this point. Is it just a matter of will he stick at second base? That's going to be the main issue for Hero going forward? I think it'll be not only can he stick at second base, it's can he remain healthy long enough for him to be able to not have to undergo like Tommy John surgery or anything like that. I, I don't think his performance in the AFL actually changes anything. I, I think it's uh, obviously it's great. But as Ryan and I have talked about on the podcast, uh, the minor league pod pretty regularly, the AFL is is not really a great place to be able to identify talent and be able to scout. It, it's something that you hear a lot about because it's able to get a bunch of scouts into one area and they're able to see guys that they normally don't see. It's the reason why you see so many scouting reports come out in spring training, even though spring training is a terrible place to scout as well. It just gives everybody an opportunity to really go into one place, consolidate their views, uh, you can uh, occasionally see some guys really stand out. I mean, Nate, Nate Pearson with uh, Toronto has kind of had some arm injuries, but the fact he's kind of coming out and throwing 102, 103 miles an hour, everybody's like, well, that that just, I think that plays. I think that is something that uh, if you're a starting pitcher, that's not terrible. Um, those are things that I think can help you stand out. But in terms of like the overall production and promise, I don't think it really changes anything um, in terms of that. I mean, are you expecting Hira in 2019? Yeah, I, I would. I've been pretty sure that I think we will see Hira by probably late May. Okay, so how does that affect um, what they're going to do in this offseason? Because I know people want to see a move at second base. I mean, does that mean they hold tight, just kind of find a fill-in? You have Perez, you have Scope. You just kind of play it out with those guys until here's ready to go. Well, scopes the big one. Obviously, we have to see what they're going to do. And the deadline for that, I believe, is November 30th. So before we actually do our next podcast, I think that decision has to be made on whether or not they're going to bring back scope. I guess my gut feeling on that is I still think they will because they gave up a substantial amount for him. He was such a good player just last season just in 2017 and this front office doesn't make decisions based on small sample sizes and do things like that i mean the cost is potentially prohibitive and it maybe does put them in a tough situation where they wouldn't be able to do the other things they want to do at 10 million which is what people are generally thinking the price tag is going to be on scope that's it's it is tough so maybe that that makes that happen but I don't see them, you know, they're not going to tender him and then trade him right away. That's not, 
likely to be a a path for this. I still think they do tender him, but it does become a trickier situation. And they do, I mean, and honestly, they do like having depth. That's a, a big part of this is we know they love having depth. So they, having too many infielders isn't really a thing, you know. I don't know if their fill-in is going to be Jonathan Scope. I think that's probably the most likely scenario unless they're able to... Because we talked about whether or not like Moustakis would be somebody that they could bring back and whether or not they could have basically Travis Shaw fill-in for a month and a half until Hero was ready, magically ready. I think his defensive capabilities have finally become ready right around the time that the Super 2 deadline <laughs> is going to end. Um, but Scope is probably just kind of the in, the inside inside track on it. And... I mean, that the entire argument for me is is kind of the long term argument that that uh, that Ryan was talking about in terms of what the the front office does in terms of making decisions. But I mean, we saw we saw Orlando Arcia struggle for four months this year, if not more. And suddenly everyone's talking about the fact that he is going to be able to finally, you know, kind of solidify us at shortstop because he was able to, to turn it on late in the season similar to what we were kind of talking about for Domingo Santana is everyone is like now can he be able to find a spot in the in in the outfield rotation because he was able to come in in September and he was able to do quite well it's about trying to figure out what what to do over a long course of a season I mean scope was bad for maybe a month and a half of the two months that he was in Milwaukee and for a good solid month of that he didn't play every day so it's a really difficult situation where I think, you know, using his time in Milwaukee as a barometer of his skill, I think would be a, a huge mistake. And if they trade Jonathan Scope, what are they going to get for him? Nothing great. Then everybody is going to, I think, turn around and say you got less for Jonathan Scope than you gave up for him. I just don't know. And if, if they non-tender him, then certainly that is going to be a huge kind of criticism of uh of David Stearns if he then catches on with somebody else and has a really good season which we had seen the previous two years so I just think it's a really difficult spot for the organization but I think probably what you'll see is have him be the the second baseman maybe Mauricio Dubon comes in and kind of they have a timeshare thing at, at second base for a couple of months until here is ready but I I doubt that they'll push Dubon that quickly well and scope has also been kind of a power binge guy so the idea that he has pretty poor periods are also followed by some pretty big peaks, which he had had right before they acquired him. Right. He did Baltimore. go on one of those power benches right before they got him. I mean, what happens if Scope comes out, you know, starts the season in one of those power benches? Do you think that pushes back the timeline for Hira at all? I mean, it, would they ride Scope through the All-Star break if he's playing well enough? Sure. I think what they would do is uh, I, I think they would probably experiment with the idea that Scope could play some shortstop. Sure. And I think you would see some shortstop time anyway, just regardless of what is going on with, you know, other second base options or whatever. I think that's just he's probably going to see some time over there, uh, depending on what else they do. If they bring in Dubon, then it's probably if Dubon does come up and start the season on the major league roster. And I don't know how that would work because no. that would be when he went he went down mid season. Um, May, late May. Was it that yeah. early? I was going to say, I think they're they're expecting him to be a full participant in camp. Oh, really? Okay. I hadn't heard that, but yeah. Okay. I would say that's aggressive. I didn't think it would be that quick. So, okay. Well, well he's not a running I mean, back. That was Yeah, it's different than football. <laughs> he still has to be a, a, a spry middle, middle infielder. You know, there's there's a certain amount of agility required for that so okay well that'll be interesting to follow in the spring so anyways um god we have a lot of of guys that the brewers are connected to in the offseason do you want to just run through all of them real quick well i was just gonna say dubon um they announced in first week of may that he tore his his acl oh it was that early wow huh it seems like it was so much later in the season because they were going to call him up and well there was yeah he was he was hours away it felt like from yes. being called up because RC was in such a funk that was the the depths of RC just his swing looking like absolute crap so right. i think even I mean, when RC was hitting this year his swing was still questionable yeah so there's a there's an article 
um, talking to farm director Tom Flanagan, and this was in uh, June of 2018, where he said they expect Dubon to be good to go full full stop by 2019 spring training. Hmm. Okay. Well, that'll be, uh, hopefully everything works out for that and we get to see that this spring. So, okay. Uh, Brewers have been connected to a few players in the free agent market. Uh, starting pitchers. Star- yes, yeah, starting pitchers. So, uh, JP Morosi um, connected them to Annabelle Sanchez the other day. I think that was the most direct. There was some, yeah, noting that the Brewers had expressed interest in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think of a, an Annabelle Sanchez acquisition in this offseason? I mean, could that be like a, a Wade Miley type uh, deal where maybe they can they can cash in a little bit more? Or did Wade Miley just basically screw up any pitcher acquisition they have this year because everybody's going to expect so much more than is realistic for most of these guys? Man, if you want a Wade Miley uh, narrative, Annabelle Sanchez is one of the top ones that you can go to, not just because he is kind of a veteran guy who suddenly had a good year last year, uh, but one of the biggest reasons he started to have success last year, he developed a cutter and he started to throw that cutter a lot. And so he was actually somebody that kind of went on the same path as Miley. And that was a big thing last year. It was just like, are you a starting pitcher that has struggled, right? Like you have one of those late night infomercials and they're like, are you a starting pitcher who has struggled for a little bit? Have you tried a cutter? And then they are going into that where, what was it? Five to seven years ago, we were talking about the fact that like no one should ever throw a cutter because it's going to like cause your elbow to come off. And now everybody is like, you should try a cutter. Well, you know, who's doing it. It's guys who are kind of on the fringes of continuing their major league careers. Wade Miley was hanging on by a thread. Anibal Sanchez looked like he was, I mean, I thought that guy was toast. I thought he was cooked and he was done. I mean, is the cutter the new knuckleball? Well, I mean, it's just the, here's the deal you're going to make with the devil. Like, okay, so throw this cutter a whole ton. It will get people out and your arm may explode, but hey, you've managed to stick in the big leagues for another few years. Okay. It's like how Keith Law used to talk about uh, more guys should throw the, uh, the splitter. I think it was the splitter. Yeah, the splitter is the one that always put stress on the elbow, I think, because with your, your fingers split like that. Or no, you know what he was talking about was more guys need to learn the screwball because that one will make your elbow explode too. And he was like, I don't understand why more teams don't just, you know, go to guys who are, you know, on the fringes of being out of the big leagues and say, hey, we can teach you this pitch. Warren, gotta, Spahn, you, Warren Spahn laughs from the uh, afterlife about the, the screwball exploding your elbow when he threw it. What, was into that him? His, I thought it was Carl Hubble was the big screwball pitcher. Spahn threw a screwball, and he threw it. I mean, dude pitched until he was, what, close to 50? Yeah, he was around forever. Yeah, so, I, I mean, all of those pitches, it's kind of interesting. Cutter, screwball, splitter, all that stuff. I mean, at some point, they're in vogue, and then they also make your elbow explode. Like it, it goes through that life cycle for all of them. I mean, a cutter is essentially what a slightly well, less hold on a tight second. slider is it and sliders ju- have never been considered good for your elbow. Is it just every pitcher is going to get hurt? And when those pitches are in vogue, they blame that pitch on on an injury. I mean, that seems <laughs> I would say, uh, I mean, honestly, though, it depends. It it depends on how you throw your cutter, right? I mean, nobody is sitting there talking about Kenley Jansen. <laughs> and his elbow exploding because he throws a cutter. He throws something with a natural cut. It's a lot of the same way that you look at somebody like Corbin Burns and his cutter. It's just a way you you hold your fastball and throw it. There's a difference between that kind of cutter and a cutter in which you are doing what like Wade Miley was doing, where it's not really a cutter. It's really a baby slider, right? It's like it's, it's a hard slider. It's like it's the the Worthen slider that you hear about with the Mets, but for like people who can't throw it in the low nineties. And because like, it's not like Wade Miley's going to look at the Mets and he's like, yeah, you know what I need to do? I need to be able to throw a 93 mile an hour slider. Like Wade Miley just doesn't have that in the tank, but he can use the same technique and throw it like 88. Is that the break that most cutters have? I always thought the cutter had like basically the opposite break. Like you'd get that ride, ride in. Not, I mean, obviously not like a screwball, which is going to be more severe as far as the break is concerned but i always thought that was kind of the break on on the cutter was it would it would break in in that direction well but i mean we've always heard that was like the big conversation we had when cc sabathia was here right sabathia said he threw a cutter and everyone's like no it's a slider okay right yeah i, I mean, mean it, it 
It because depends on what R- Rivera's always cut in. Like Rivera's cutter cut in on right-handed batters, didn't it? It did. No, I always thought it did. I always thought he had a fastball cut his, in. No, it cuts away. I always thought his cutter cut in. Well, no, I mean that's a fastball with ride. I mean you can okay. do that as well, but that's not a cutter. Okay. Um, but I mean that's because I always thought he the, threw with so much ride on everything. I guess that's what I was mistaking for it. I would say that's the same thing that we talk about with like Freddie Peralta and the fact that he can that he can manipulate his his fastball in so many different directions, right? Like he can mm-hmm. throw a force, cut it, and he can ride it, and that is what can really kind of, if you can just basically make your fastball wiggle then you've got the ability to be able to keep off the barrels again and again and again and the question is whether or not Annabelle Sanchez can really look at his cutter and say that I started throwing this pitch and that's the reason why my batting average on balls in play dropped by a hundred points I mean maybe but his and his ability to let his strikeout rate his walk rate have basically been the same for four straight years. And this is the first year since uh, I think about 2014 in which he didn't just get absolutely mashed for homers. So maybe that is the reason I don't necessarily know Wade Miley, somebody that if you look at the statistics, he didn't actually have that great of a year either, but uh, obviously there is something to be able to being able to, 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 to keep uh, bats off the barrel of the whoa, that was a sentence. There's something to be said for being able to keep uh, the baseball off the barrel of the bat when you're throwing a cutter because it's much more difficult to handle. The question is going to be whether or not that's sustainable, whether or not it's not just smoke and mirrors. And it'll be interesting to see if this is just kind of a, a new pitching strategy that is able to exploit a lot of things that people are trying to do with new swing paths. And, and this is just kind of a, a, I don't think you ever really would have seen a pitcher like Wade Miley say, I'm going to attack righties by throwing cutters in. Right. And like, that's my plan. I'm going to throw upper, I'm going to throw upper eighties and I am going to bust you inside with fastballs again and again and again and again. And I'm not going to go to the out outer part of the plate. Uh, guys will adjust to that. And it's about, you know, that's why fastballs up in the zone suddenly became a big thing just because hitters had made an adjustment. And that was a way to exploit it. It'll be interesting to see if like this cutter thing is just a new thing that that hitters need to actually adjust to. And then they'll kind of move to something else again. But it's this give and take that's always there. OK, so your, your thoughts, what do you think? Sanchez, is that going to be a good pickup for the Brewers if they go after him? I have no idea. I, I would not be given. I would not want to give Sanchez any more than a one-year deal, which to me, I think he would probably get a multi-year deal on the table. I think, and we'll talk about other guys, but I think one of the main things that you see with what they're doing in terms of the guys they're connected with, they're guys that can throw in the starting rotation. They're guys that can move to the pen. I mean, I think with Sanchez, the danger of that is you're paying for the post breakout. If you could have foreseen what he was going to do and try to get ahead of it, that seems like the year to have gotten him like signing Wade Miley now or Annabelle Sanchez now is not the time to be doing it. It was to get ahead of it, which sounds really awful and, you know, anti-competitive labor stuff. But like, I think that's the that's the issue is like, do you want to count on these guys staying healthy, especially Sanchez, who's 35 and you know, Miley's a little bit younger. So maybe there's a little bit more there, but. God, is Wade Miley younger than that? Wade Miley seems like he should just be perpetually like 37. He looks like he's that old. Like he should just always be that age. He just kind of has that that haggard he, old old pitcher uh look to him. I think no, that he is he is closer to Breen in age than he is to us. So that's crazy. So um, yeah, Wade Miley would have been like a 37-year-old rookie who pitched for 12 years. Exactly. That is, that's what Wade Miley should be. He's the second coming of Dazzy Vance. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, uh, the guys at Brew Crew Ball, they kind of rounded up a few other uh, – Brewers are connected to them or just there's some interest that These in were them. brought up by writers on Twitter, and they got Brew Crew Ball write-ups, so I wanted to credit both people. Yeah, so um, there, there seems to be some interest in Sonny Gray. That would have to be a trade. Yes, Sonny Gray would be a trade. And then also Nathan Eovaldi. And again, we're talking about, with Eovaldi, we're talking about a guy after the year of the breakout. I mean, the guy was 
maybe one of the biggest reasons Boston just trounced to the World Series this year. He was a huge, huge part of that pitching staff in all sorts of roles. And I, I think to JP's point about wanting to be able to get guys who are flexible, getting Evaldi makes a lot of sense because that dude can motes between the rotation and the uh, and the bullpen. He has shown that ability to be able to just do that, and he's fine with it. That would really play, and and you would think that would really appeal to to David Stearns and Craig Council, that that would be a guy they would really like to get. Um, JP, what do you think of going... Uh, I think there's a continual fascination with Sonny Gray because the Brewers have been connected to him in... Was that 17 at the trade really deadline? Really heavily connected. Yeah, yeah, they were really heavily connected. Gray ended up going to uh, the Yankees. He hasn't been oh. any good. So I think there's a little bit of a buy low around gray is that like legitimate or you know is Sonny gray just the kind of guy that he is what he is right now and people need to steep keep they need to stop thinking they're going to acquire the guy who was close to an ace in oakland well yeah i think that the buy low piece is is what's there right because what ends up happening is and and we all do it right we all look at the the free agent list and you're like which you know who's who's the guy here that you know you could try to sneak under the radar and really get somebody that would break out and you don't have to pay top dollar for and we do that on the trade market as well but Sonny Gray has long had question marks right like he was able there's a reason why he slipped down to to whatever he slipped down to in in the draft I don't remember what it was if it was was like 17 if it was just about pure stuff he would have gone top five but there's more than that. It's about it's about playing. It's about the ability to command the, the baseball. It's the ability to hold up over a long period of time. And you're now getting to the point that he's had tons of innings on in his arm. You're starting to get to the point in which he is actually starting to be exploited in terms of the long ball, which plays into a lot of things people were talking about in terms of his his plane and in terms of his ability, you know, his stature and his and and the plane he gets on his fastball. And Sonny Gray is going to be one of those guys that I think is going to have uh, kind of good periods and bad periods. But the reason why I think a lot of people want to go to Sonny Gray is exactly your point. They want to be able to go and acquire somebody that they think is going to break out. And Sonny Gray is also the type of player, I think, that needs to be in a place in which he can... um, He's allowed to have down periods. Right. If that makes sense, like if he wants to be able to get his career back on track, he needs to pitch in an environment in which he can uh, have the freedom to fail. And if he does fail, he still gets plenty of opportunities to pitch. And in that way, I think he'd be great in a place like San Diego. I think San Diego would be a wonderful place where he could go and reestablish his value by pitching every every five days or or maybe he wants to remake himself into a bullpen piece. I don't know how that wants to go. But if he goes to a place like San Diego, he can actually go rebuild his status and then be able to be traded somewhere that is a contender in July. Or he can be a part of a, of kind of the new crop of guys that are going to be coming up in, in the Padres uh, organization. I mean, they've got tons of talent down there. A place like Seattle would be a, a good place for, for Sonny Gray as well, in which that's kind of that the atmosphere he knows he knows that division um but i think if he goes to a place and obviously everyone's going to talk about cincinnati but if you're talking about somebody with uh home run issues i'm not necessarily sure that's a great place for him but i don't think sunny gray in milwaukee is a wonderful opportunity for him i understand the appeal for it for brewers fans but for sunny gray if he struggles for three weeks people are going to not want to have him in the rotation whatsoever yeah it's tough when you have a team that is competing you don't have room for growth. You need guys who are going to contribute. And the idea that you you want a guy that could possibly rehabilitate his, his image, but also be productive at the same time. Like, I like, it's the, a big I like the Seattle shout. That's yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me because Seattle's still potentially trying to contend unless they do. I mean, if they if they he's the kind of guy that could make Seattle a contender when they're kind of in it. Well, if they if they scorch the earth after this, the other one that would make like JP said, San Diego makes a lot of sense, especially if they do try to push their timeline forward and they were to acquire somebody like Syndergaard, because that's been a big talk lately is would they go for Syndergaard if they got Syndergaard and needed some rotation depth behind him to potentially try to contend and make noise this year in what should be a, a fairly down NL West, because it looks like there's a good chance that San Francisco goes full tank. 
Arizona's making noise about about pulling the plug and and trading off. You know, you'd figure the Rockies will still be around, but I don't. That roster doesn't scream to me that they're in great shape, and they're also nearing the end of their Nolan Arenado situation, so they may have to contend with that. So, yeah, I think both of those situations, someplace on the West Coast with big parks and marine layers, makes a lot of sense for Sonny Gray. <laughs> but the, I think one of the key pieces to think about for for the this offseason and we're going to hear about it a lot, is the Syndergaard thing. Like, I have no confidence whatsoever that the Mets are even, like, they might come out and say, well, of course, we would think about trading somebody like DeGrom or Syndergaard. We saw that in the summer. They have zero interest in doing that because what the Mets always want to be able to do is compete. They are terrified of trading their top pieces for anything. The, the Mets trade like Ryan. Like, they have to win the trade. Like that's the only goal is no buyer's remorse if you if you make a trade. Well, right. I mean, we experienced that with uh, the Carlos Gomez thing, and obviously now everybody likes the fact that 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 trade didn't go through because Zach Wheeler hasn't been as as good, even though he actually actually uh, Wheeler was jumped. not bad this year when he was pitching. Wheeler probably yeah, would have been their they, number two starter in the playoffs this year. <laughs> I was gonna say Wheeler actually has turned around, but it took a little bit longer for that to happen. Obviously, but then they wouldn't have Hater, so you know. Or take. Domingo or yeah. Hauser or Phillips as a trade piece. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of uh, good things that ended up coming about it. But what ended up happening was the Mets kind of got cold feet and then they looked at it and made up a reason via the medical that they didn't want to do it. And it would have been uh, a bad deal for them as is most likely because Carlos Gomez didn't uh, kind of turn out as everybody wanted. But it wouldn't have been a bad deal because I don't think they really would have given up anything that would have been immediately uh, caused remorse. So... The Mets, I know that they have a brand new GM, but that brand new GM is um, how does how would I say this? Uh, he Conflicted. Is that, uh, well, well, sure, but he has actually divested himself from a lot of the the, the agent stuff now. Um, I think he actually well, he had to. Hey, I'm well, both right. an agent and a general manager. <laughs> well, I think that we have experienced quite a few things about conflict of interest in this country that uh, no longer pertain to much. So uh, there is that. Yeah, I don't um, think conflict of interest is really a to- or is really like a thing anymore. I think we just uh, sort of accept that <laughs> that's 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 how the world runs now. Uh, but there is always going to be a there is going to be a limit within uh, very, very strict limitations on the high and low end that any Mets GM is going to be allowed to work within because of their ownership structure and everything that's going on there. Right. So yes, the Mets might trade Noah Syndergaard, but God knows you're going to have to pay through the nose to even get to the negotiation table. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very early. Stranger things have happened. We'll see how much how much wiggle room Brody Van Wagerin gets, but I, I was I can't think of a stranger thing that would happen than the Mets coming forth and saying that they're willing to trade Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, I don't think the Brewers are going to be in on any of that. It oh just no, seems I didn't like, say the Brewers. Yeah, the price on all of that stuff is too high. So no, hey, I mean, let's let's do a few questions here because we need to finish this thing up pretty quick. So uh, we have Erica who's on Twitter. Is mm, that where you got it? Bender Zip. Bender Zip. Um, she asked, what will happen to Eric Thames and Chase Anderson this offseason? Those are fascinating questions. I think they unless, are, but I don't think they're going anywhere I, for. Well, Chase Anderson, I think, is just he's going to be back. He will be in the rotation somewhere to start the season. I think that he's going to get the chance to to continue doing that. Part of it is, you know, they have guaranteed money on him for this year. So he's coming back there. You know, maybe they look to trade him. But that would be—I don't think so. You'd be trading him very down right now. You'd be trading him. You know, also, for, they like the depth. They and they should like the depth because it's super important. So I think Chase Anderson, Thames is more interesting just because is there space for him? JP, what do you think? Are both those guys back next year? Just Chase Anderson? I—I uh, I mean, the honest answer is I don't know. I know that doesn't make for good. That doesn't make for good. You don't know about Anderson either. I have I I would assume that Anderson's back. Um I could see them both being traded. I could see them um I could see Chase Anderson being somebody that 
it kind of just gets squeezed out. Um, I don't know what that looks like, really. But I also see Eric Thames as somebody that could get squeezed out over the course of the year, depending on what kind of changes they make. I could also see Eric Thames being somebody that they pretty much have as a straight platoon at first. Um, I not to I and I again, I know that this is a cop out, but I I don't know. I think they're kind of pivot players of the team for this offseason, like what they're going to have to either sort of, I think, commit to them or move on from them. In a way, see, I see Anderson as just being a part of the rotation. I don't because you have to have five of them. Well, yeah. you have to have nine of them. I, really, think, I think the required depth and what Anderson even even at the level he pitched this past season, that was very much just a guy in the rotation. Like he didn't pitch so poorly that he was a question mark about pitching in the rotation. Not until September when they decided to pull the plug. Well, yeah, but then they got to a point where they had other guys who were pitching better. But again, that goes back to the point of needing depth. So depth. So I don't think that Anderson's going anywhere. What was that? That was that was truly spooky. We had that we was. have we have red zone on right now, and somebody was stuffing like a what stuffed pretzel and no, that was a hot dog with like a, an insane amount of ketchup and mustard on it and relish and everything else. And it was just being shoved into that woman's gullet. I think she like unhinged her jaw to be able to eat that. Where was that? Was that in Washington? Uh, I think it was Baltimore. Or, or was that? Since, or are they in Baltimore? I okay. think it was Baltimore. I saw Cincinnati. I thought maybe it was something stuffed with that awful chili. <laughs> <laughs> I saw. I would say to get back on uh, to get back on on point because I know that somebody's computer might die shortly, and we need to be able to make sure that we can get out of here before the computer dies. Um. And to be clear, that's Steve's because Steve wasn't prepared. And <laughs> I just needed to, I needed to do that because you've given both of us so much shit throughout. So I needed to be able to get that one in there. Um, but if Chase Anderson, so let's say the Brewers go out and actually acquire somebody like uh, Eovaldi. Let's say they get another starting pitcher. I don't know who it would be. And then you have a starting rotation that conceivably goes what? Uh, Jimmy Nelson. Uh, you're going to have conversations to be had, like I would imagine Chassin is there, and then you could Davies. have uh, you could have, and then Davies is there, and then you have Woodruff, Burns, you have Peralta, you have questions like that, right? But let's say they go out and actually get another starting starting pitcher, like like we're talking about. Where's Chase Anderson fit in? I see. I still think, given the opportunity, they'll put Woodruff and Burns in the bullpen to begin with and then wait till they're well into the season to make those decisions. I agree. Sure. Well, but then is then like, is it really that different to have a conversation of saying what will happen with Chase Anderson in May versus what will happen with him in April? Well, we're not talking about that. I think we're talking about who's going to basically report to camp. Well, I think our question from Erica just says what will happen with Eric Thames and Chase Anderson. She's just trying to create a division between us. <laughs> <laughs> And she's succeeding, apparently. She did. So, okay, we're going to keep going because obviously we'll never get to the bottom of this until, uh, what, late January? Maybe we'll know. FanFest? What is it? Yeah, FanFest. Ask Fan this Emmenecker question because I've been waiting for this one. Yeah, I was going to get to that one. So, okay, uh, Jeffrey Emmenecker asks, uh, would you trade uh, Jesus Aguilar and Brandon Woodruff for one year of Paul Goldschmidt? No. Yes. <laughs> okay. Nope. Defend it. I already knew. Oh, I already knew Ryan's answer. Um, but yes, I absolutely would. Uh, I would not trade those two guys because that's five years of control on Woodruff and four on Aguilar for one year of Paul Goldschmidt. No, Goldschmidt is not. I Goldschmidt's slow start to the year last year. I mean, he is not a young player. And hold I, on, hold on. Are you gonna? Are you a? a embarking in a conversation about where you're going to make an argument that Paul Goldschmidt's not that good. I'm going to make a, an argument that Paul Goldschmidt has to be to make that deal make sense. Paul Goldschmidt has to be freaking elite. He has to, do be, you know what Paul Goldschmidt was after like mid May? He was very good. He was probably better than Yelich from that point forward. He just had such a poor start in the first six weeks. Yeah. But I'm that saying, poor start did happen. It did, but Yelich's second half also happened, and it won him an MVP. Yes, no, I know. I'm saying he has to be, Goldschmidt has to be. 
like an MVP caliber player for the Paul one Goldschmidt year that is an MVP candidate pretty much always. Yeah, but that won't last forever. Paul Goldschmidt playing on the Brewers would have been an MVP candidate last this past season. JP, right? Don't you agree? He would have been what? He would have been an MVP candidate this past season. Oh, Paul Goldschmidt on the Brewers. He, he should have been on. Uh, he should have been in Arizona. Uh, so to be fair, from the beginning of June, he had an OPS over a thousand. Yeah, no, he was really good. Well, you're right. you're saying he has to be elite. That's pretty from, that's from that pretty freaking elite. On. But you, I no, don't no, expect no, no, no. anybody in their 30s to continue to be elite. It's one year. You're trading for one year. I don't expect anybody to continue to be elite like that. You are, you think he's going to fall off in 2019? That's going to be the cliff. I think there's enough risk of it that I wouldn't give up all of that to get him. But I'm so, I'm way higher on Woodruff than probably Breen is that's that's the part of it that I like if we're talking about giving up well, Aguilar, I think that should be the argument you make as opposed to what 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 Goldschmidt's going to be if we're talking about giving up Aguilar plus you know I don't know Bryce Terang or something for him or even like Corey Ray I can see the argument for that I can see the argument so, for that I Woodruff is a guy I do not want to be traded away so it's right. So if if it were a deal that Arizona wouldn't take, then you would be okay with it, right? I like why there wouldn't be a scenario in which you have like Bryce Terang as like the headliner, and they would take it for Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt, I, I, no, I said Aguilar too. Sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was like a three win player last year. Come on, everybody's acting like this is. Hold on, this is a this is a pet peeve because this has been happening a lot now. Everybody's acting like Jesus Aguilar isn't really a very good player. He was a top 10 hitter in the National League this last year. The guy was legitimately really, really damn good. I know he slowed down in the second half and didn't hit for the power he did, but his numbers in the second half were still actually fine. They were they just weren't outstanding for a first baseman. They were just they were whatever. They were they were good. He was fine for a first baseman. He was fine. He was league average first baseman. That's valuable. Another team would want to have that over the course of a year. That is not the same thing as saying that that Paul Goldschmidt, who has been a five plus win player every single year since 2013. Sure. There is, so basically, that would be a scenario in which you would say, I've got this league average first baseman who's controllable and a, a good player. And a lot of teams would like to have a Jesus Aguilar. And you would add somebody like in in your scenario, you're saying uh, Bryce Terang, but in this other scenario, you're saying another really good piece like Brandon Woodruff to be able to upgrade that to potentially the best first baseman in all of baseball. That well, seems to me to be well, a who fair. Who said anything about Joey Votto here? I would. Yeah, I am talking about Joey Votto as well. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think Joey Votto is, is. I would rather if I were having one player for a year, I would rather have Paul Goldschmidt than, than Joey Votto. Hmm. Hmm, that's spicy meatball. Well, Vado can also give you a 15 home run season or whatever. I mean, Vado's an true. excellent player, but there's there's a lot more variability, and I think the power output that you get okay. from Vado. Here's here's my big thing, and you guys know this, and I'm gonna get shit for it. So whatever. Here it is: uh, trading nine years of control for one year of control, nine years of control of a good two good players, and I think Brandon Woodruff and Jesus Aguilar qualify as good players. You're not um, you're not trading in a vacuum though. You're not putting everything into an equation and deciding which one has the best value. I don't like that trade in general. You don't like that trade for so if if you won't trade for would there be like who would you trade Jesus Aguilar and and Brandon Woodruff for in in baseball period for one year? Yeah. I mean it would have to be a player whose eliteness I do not question. I was I was waiting for him to say like Mookie Betts or somebody. Yeah, I mean, well, we're, I, but we're talking I mean, about one year of a guy, and I don't because Ryan only wins trades with no buyer's remorse. Well, no, right, because this is the thing: is it's not actually anything to do with Paul Goldschmidt, but you're trying to make an argument about Paul Goldschmidt. It's the fact that it's a one year deal. It, That's it the is the fact that like. it's it's one year of anybody. That player That's has the, to be that player has to blow me away to want to give up nine years of of those guys who's going to be better than goldschmidt I, not many people right so that's my point is you just wouldn't do it because it's only for a year 
I mean, we're talking about at the end of a of a deal. Um, no, no, no. I, I'm saying, is there who in baseball would you do for a single year for it? You keep because at some point you say like no one, and then you try to say like, well, this is not why for Goldschmidt. It's either you would. There are I mean, players. If we're, you would if do we're it talking, for. yes, there are. Obviously, if we're talking in a year from now, Mike Trout's in the last year of his contract. I mean, I, stupid. Yes, of course, I would do that. Okay, so like, we've got the like best player that the best player has ever that's played. Ever lived. Yes, and, that's what we've got. And then like, and then like no one else. <laughs> that, I think that sums up the situation. <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay. Steve, Steve has a migraine now. You do. You give me a headache with all this. So. um yeah, we're just going to wrap this up now because I think that that's probably gone down through through the looking glass a little too far. I was going to say, but like, could you imagine coming into the 2019 season and say that your first three hitters were going to be Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, and Paul Goldschmidt? You'd, be, you'd do okay. And you could do that with only basically giving up one player, right? Because like, right, you're talking about an upgrade internally from a Jesus Aguilar to a Goldschmidt. So you're not, re- and I understand you're going to make an argument about saying future years. And my response to that is that corner infielders, they can find just like they did with Jesus Aguilar and you can make those guys into players. And there's a reason why you try to trade corner up infielders before anything else. Finding one as good as Aguilar has been though is tough. It's I funny because you're ignoring because part of you're, this is you're, ex- you're, you're expecting Stearns to continue to spin straw into gold. And like, what was Eric Thames? Um, good scouting on their no, part. But he's no. another he's another quarter infielder who's been very productive for the Brewers for not a lot of money. I mean, they they paid considerably more there. They're, they paid you know. like 15 million for three seasons. Yeah, it was like 18. I that's think. not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money, Stop. but it's more. It's <laughs> yes, it is more money, but that's I not a lot of money up for nothing. I mean, if we had video of this right now, yes, it would very much be serenity now. What, what was, what was the other part of the later? insanity later? <laughs> Basically, right. You had just uh, the second half of the season where Tyler White was one of the best first basemen in all of baseball in the second half. Um you had that O'Hearn like a suddenly became good and he's been kind of kicking around off off of waivers. The point isn't that Stearns is the only one who can find corner like first basemen who are quad A guys and be able to uh, establish them by giving them time to be league average first baseman. It's the fact that there is a reason why going back to 2008 that Doug Melvin was willing to trade somebody like Laporta because first baseman in general are replaceable right but jesus aguilar was a again a top 10 hitter in the national league this last season are you gonna bet on that next year i wouldn't no i think he he regresses some from that probably but i'm still pointing out that there's he is worth a lot more than what i think generally brewer fans want to concede in this whole thing so jesus aguilar in the second half last year what would you guess his wins above replacement was I mean, it was a negative because he had a really awful run with the bat in the second half of. Wait, are we talking about last year or 2017? 2018. 2018. Okay. In 2000, because in 2017, he collapsed. Like, he was terrible in the second half. In 2018, probably he was worth, I don't know, half a win or something in the second half. Yeah, it was was 0.3. So basically. What we're doing is saying that we're not willing to trade Jesus Aguilar for possibly the best first baseman in all of baseball because he had a good half year. I forget. Is replacement zero or is it one? It's zero. It is zero. Okay. Yeah. Woodruff is still again, barely, barely above replacement. But Woodruff is the piece that really puts this over the top for me because I think you could have a really, really good starter there in him. I'd just like to point out you keep changing your arguments. But it's it's both guys. I Initially, when we talked about this, I said Woodruff is the the guy really wouldn't want to trade. I, I get like if, if it was Aguilar plus somebody else, I could I could deal with it. But Woodruff is a guy I wouldn't want to deal. You don't want to actually give up any value. And, you know, I agree. I, I'm I'm bullish on Woodruff going forward as well. But, you know. You're going to have to give up something of actual value to get something of value. So anyways, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. Um, we're going to take a week off. Well, so there will be a week off here for the regular podcast, but 
I'm going to plan on holding back. We're going to record the minor league pod this week, and I'm going to hold off on publishing that until Black Friday. So I'll put that up on the that'll be our, our little gift to people who are standing <laughs> out in line at Carbon 4 waiting to get. I mean, they can listen on their at four in the morning and freezing frigid cold temperatures. They can listen to their minor league podcast. Exactly. If you want to join our Patreon, that's your Black Friday deal, right? Is that how it works? So anyways, we're going to be off next next Monday. Don't look for a pod. We're going to take the weekend off. Um, otherwise, we're going to have pissed off spouses. If we try to record on that weekend and JP's just got like stuff to do. He's got papers to grade all very interesting. I'm sure. So I was going to say I uh, could be becoming an uncle this upcoming week. So uh, it's, it's not just going to be Thanksgiving going home and seeing the folks. It's the fact my, my sister's doing a couple of days and we're hoping for a new addition to the, to the Breen clan. Well, that's exciting. Mazel tov. Yes. So we'll, we'll look forward to news of that announcement on Twitter, right? I will not be announcing it on on Twitter, but uh, I will be enjoying spending time with uh, my new niece if that comes to pass before Thanksgiving. Yeah, that'll be awesome. So everybody, I hope you enjoy your uh, Thanksgiving and all your holiday weekends coming up. Um, don't spend too much money or anything like that. Uh, but if you do, join our Patreon to spend the money. Uh, spend the money there or at <laughs> at uh, Carbon 4. Yes, or, or check out Carbon 4's uh, Black Friday deal. That'll be awesome to do. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on, so enjoy all of that. Be safe. Um, anyways, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mketailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra m- monthly minor league extra podcast. How much? I mean, you had as much beer as I did. Yeah, I had enough. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKETailgate. You can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and we're now on Spotify. Uh, You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening. And again, look for us in two weeks on Milwaukee's Tailgate.